Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots and forgotten American citizens to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is Daniel Horowitz, your host, one and only independent conservative truth teller in the house here on Friday, Valentine's Day, February 14th where we always pledge to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And there are a lot of truth bombs left over from this long week that we haven't gotten to, so this will sort of be a free-for-all Friday, freewheeling into so many stories you might have missed or that need good analysis, good vision, and uh, look, on this Valentine's Day, must remember if you have a wife, like I do, every day is Valentine's Day. Every day is a day to express your unadulterated love. And we, we kind of need a day like that for our country. I guess that's July 4th, really. But a day where we care enough about our country that we're going to focus all of our attention on what we can do to save our civilization, our republic, rather than getting involved in the phony party politics. As you well know, that's what it means to be an independent conservative, not to carry water for any organization or party or figure, but just for what is right. And I know a lot of you appreciate that, and I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. I am so amazed at how many people have dropped uh, such beautiful comments, uh, five-star ratings at iTunes. This will really help us bump up those numbers and be more of a force and serve as more of an influence on what's going on. So I wanted to start off with a story in my home state, the basket case of Maryland. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing about Maryland. As many of you know, all of the major urban areas are going through a period of the worst crime ever. I don't just mean, hey, crime is up relative to the low of the last 20 or so years. No, we're talking about the worst ever. Certainly in my lifetime, my parents' lifetime here, uh, nobody remembers it this bad in and around the Baltimore area. Crime is bad. In addition, Maryland has with it the worst MS-13 problem of any state. Right around the nation's capital, Montgomery, Prince George's counties, full of Salvadoran gangs, 18th Street as well. Endless stories of macheting people to death. You remember over the summer, we had all these stories from Montgomery County where they were releasing child rapists and just general rapists to go and reoffend again. So this is a state where they don't have much of a problem polluting the human ecosystem by releasing the worst subhuman beings alive. For example, in Prince George's County, Maryland, May 2018, there were two people arrested who were MS-13 members for murder one, murder one charges. ICE put a detainer on them. They denied it. They released them without telling them. And one served a little bit of time in a juvenile hall. 
Another one maybe served a couple months. I mean, we're talking about Murder One here, and they were released. Exactly a year later, May 2019, they butchered a 14-year-old girl to death in one of these gang killings. And once again, ICE lodged a detainer, which they ignored. That is how much pollution they they release into our ecosystem. So you'd think there would be a sense of urgency to deal with crime, domestic and foreign national, in the Maryland legislature in Annapolis, but no. What did they do? They passed a law, at least out of the Senate, on Monday, that would prohibit the release of balloons into the air. Oh, we don't want to pollute the ecosystem. Any violator over the age of 13 faces a penalty of up to $250. Folks, that's more than any money I see all these carjackers having to pay. A lot of them, they go and trash people's vehicles. There's no insurance. They never have to pay, much less serve any time in jail. That is the Sodom and Gomorrah of the left that we're dealing with. Okay, that, that's what we're up against. As Dennis Prager often says, that with the left, they just, they're so doggone serious in the wrong times, and they take all the fun out of life. They're not serious at all when it comes to protecting our children from gangs and crime, criminal aliens, public safety threats. No, no, no. But they are sure there to take the fun out of their lives. Why do I bring this up? I bring this up as a preface to the Republican Party, which looks like a botched sex change operation. It really does. You would think with a Democrat party that believes in this, it would be so easy to articulate and communicate an opposing alternative worldview to the average voter in a consistent, principled, emphatic way. And you'd stay focused on it, and you'd see it through. But no, we don't. You know what's interesting here? I didn't realize it till later. But you'll see the article. I have a short article out of Conservative Review. The Maryland Senate passed the bill, now heads to the House, but passed the bill 38 to 3. Now, some of you might have thought, okay, well, that means the Democrats. Well, yeah, they have an overwhelming majority, but not that overwhelming. Democrats have a 32 to 15 majority in the Maryland Senate. That means that 12 out of 15 Maryland Republican senators voted for this crap. That means that four-fifths, 80% of the elected Republicans and remember, when they're in the minority, there's nothing so righteous as a Republican Party hopelessly in the minority. But even then, they couldn't stand united and emphatic on the message I put out. I'm the only one in the state of Maryland that has basically put out this powerful juxtaposition. You can't release balloons. Kids will get punished if they release balloons. But you could have MS-13 foreign national criminals butcher kids to death and literally get released back into the communities record crime, and this is what they focus on. Nope, we can't have nice things. 
And I say this because this is a harbinger for what we see when Republicans indeed are in a majority. And we're going to go over to South Dakota here and we're going to talk about red states. But again, remember, this is what we need to be focused on, focusing on this year in 2020, headed towards 2021. That, that, that what is the great hope for the Republic? Trump getting reelected, Republicans winning back the House. What is waiting for us on the other side of that? And my answer to you is, we get a vote in that. If we stayed focused, if we focused on primaries, if we focused every day on a critical mass of activist Republican talk radio listeners demanding action and disaction on various executive legislative things, keeping focused on the right narratives, you could have a better outcome. Ultimately, we're not going to save the republic until we have a new party. It's something we need to work towards. But the reality is, is it's not happening this year, that's for sure. We've got to work with what we have. But if we don't do that, I could tell you exactly what's waiting for us on the other side. And I'm already, I'm already seeing that. We spoke about that yesterday. Second terms don't get better. Not without serious intervention. But let's talk a little bit about um, what it means where Republicans actually have full control. Okay, place like South Dakota. You would think a very strong Republican Party. Let me tell you something. Republicans control every statewide elected office in South Dakota. Republicans have a 30 to 5, not 35, 30 against 5 majority in the Senate. 6 to 1. They have a 59 to 11 majority in the House. Now you would think, as emphatically as the left goes after freedom and fun of law-abiding citizens and coddles terrorists, murderers, criminals, and illegal aliens, you would think that we would have a party in a state that they control, frankly, with larger majorities than Democrats do officially in Maryland, would be as emphatically pro-freedom but pro-law and order and as emphatically as the left is for the de-civilization, gender-bending agenda, you would at a baseline have a party that would have unanimity of opinion, that a man's a man and a woman's a woman, and at least, if nothing else, while Democrats in Maryland regulate the release of balloons, we could at least regulate the chopping off of people's balls. That, or, or... Female anatomy as well. That a doctor would be prohibited from performing castration and likewise similar things. You would think that wouldn't be hard. So some of you might have seen, you might have seen a couple weeks ago, a good story. Wow. Wow. Republicans slated to introduce bill to protect 
at least minors. Again, I think it should be outlawed. I mean, you can't you can't harm someone. Okay, you can't chop off their arm if you're a doctor, if they're ten years old, twenty years old, or fifty years old. So I don't understand either. But but at least it dealt with minors performing castration on minors. Our friends at LifeSite News give us an update on what happened there. Pure South Dakota. This is Martin uh, Barillas of LifeSite News. The Republican-controlled South Dakota Senate turned down a bill that would have banned genital reconstruction surgery and hormone suppression therapy to anyone under the age of 16. On Monday, the Health and Human Services Committee in the upper chamber voted 5-2 to to kill House Bill 1057, the Vulnerable Child Protection Act, which had been initially sponsored by Representative Fred Deutsch and passed in the state house. In its original form, the bill would make gender-bending surgeries and therapies a class one misdemeanor for healthcare providers carrying a penalty of one year in jail and a maximum fine of $2,000. Despite a last-minute amendment, which even removed criminal charges for doctors but added a provision to allow patients to sue after mutilation, the bill could still not win enough support to leave the committee and go to the full Senate. I don't know what the committee orientation looked like, but remember, in the Senate, they have a 30 to 5 majority. A 30 to 5 majority. What's the 800 pound gorilla in the room there? The governor. Deutsch claimed that Governor Christy Nome had opposed the bill behind the scenes. While she had earlier expressed some concerns, according to the Argus leader, her spokesperson later claimed that the governor had never taken a formal position. <sighs> Christy Nome, if you remember, she was called, you could Google this, she was elected in the class of 2010. She was called a Tea Party Republican. From day one, she was a complete leftist. And this is the problem. This is the problem when all of our work gets sucked into the black hole of the Republican Party. It all gets sucked in. We have these movements, but then it goes into the Republican Party and it gets jujitsu. This is the same governor who wrote a letter, among many others, to the State Department demanding more refugees. I mean, again, you look at the Republican Party. So the Democrats, you see a clear, you know, like you look at a guy, man, that, 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 that's a man. That's a male. Okay, that, that's a man. So you look at the Democrats, like, man, that, that's, we, we see what gender that is. Release MS-13, but you can't release balloons. So they're very clear on where their values are. A man's a woman, a woman's a man, criminal's victim, victim's criminal, illegal is legal, legal is illegal. Hamas, MS-13, Hezbollah, Iran, IRGC, Soleimani are, are, are great people. We get it. There's no ambiguity there. You take a look at Republicans, and it's like, what am I looking at? It's like, earlier this week, what's her name? Um, Presley, one of those radical new uh, liberal House members, got up there and started talking about women and women this, and she had a shaved head. And my, her eyebrows might have also been off or something. I, I don't know. And... I, I, I'm not trying to be funny here. I, I thought I thought it was a man when I was looking, and then I saw lipstick, and I was like, well, what's going on there? Like, what is that? So that, that, that's kind of what the Republican Party looks like. But we can't even get them to stand against 
the most radical things. I'm not talking about getting rid of the great society and some of the real dependency programs that a lot of people have gotten roped into and the parochial politics that, that gets tough sometimes. I'm talking about simply saying you can't castrate a kid under the age of 16 and mutilate their body in a state like South Dakota with a six to one majority. But we have governors, Republican governors, the majority of Republican governors that support the open borders agenda. They support the pro-criminal agenda. They support the transgender sexual alphabet soup montage agenda. What is it that they support? What is it that they support? Last night, I put out on Twitter a question to you guys. I said, hey, could you think of any issue where there was more than a handful of Republicans that believe as strongly on the conservative side of it as the United Democrat Party believes and emphatically pushes for the left-wing side of that issue? And, you know, a couple of people are trying to say maybe guns. And I said, no, that ship has sailed. Remember last year or two years ago when they had full control, they refused to pass reciprocity, then lied and put on a gun control measure and they passed gun control? They ran away from that. Today is the two-year anniversary of Parkland, which was the turning point with Republicans and guns when that was a case of jailbreak. Which is another thing. You would say crime. Crime was the one thing Republicans were united on for several decades. Really, historically, they were. That's gone. Name me an issue. Life, it's in name only, as we discussed a couple weeks ago. Then some people said, well, judges. But you're missing the point. I'm saying emphatically embraces the conservative position as much as the left does theirs. The polar opposite of the left on judges is to oppose judicial supremacy, not this appointing judges business is solving the problem. If anything, that's the perfect defeat mechanism as we've talked about so many times. I can give you more examples from this week if I had time. So that's what we had there. Now let me move on. Let me move on. Let's travel on our trip around the country to Florida. Okay? Florida is the opposite situation where the polar opposite of Christy Nome, you have Ron DeSantis, who is a philosophical conservative. Good guy. Now, granted, the um, Florida legislature is not, they, they have lost some seats there. I think they're going to gain back. It's not quite as strongly Republican. The Senate is only 2317 Republican, but that's still clear majority. Nice 73 of 47 majority in the House. It's only because Ron DeSantis is so strong, they're pushing E-Verify. But even then, even then, Tom Lee, the Judiciary Committee chairman there, and that stupid uh, Senate president there, a total, total puke, total tool, that guy, Bill Gavano, pro-gun control, pro-criminal, made him basically exempt a lot of companies and then exempt the entire agricultural sector. But anyway, there at least it looks like we'll get something. 
that's only because it's a rarity that you have Ron DeSantis. And even then, again, Republicans in the legislature, total tools, and especially at a leadership level. That's what, that's what the party is. The, the, the party has not changed one iota since Trump. And in fact, it's changing Trump. Because here's the deal. Here's what I want to talk about with E-Verify. So as a baseline, it's hard to underscore the vitality of this. We were promised in 1986. People forget. Reagan, and I have it in my book from my research, and Ed Meese, his attorney general, who's still alive, talks about this all the time. He did not want this garbage. They knew it would create Democrat voters. It's actually an interesting memo that Ed Meese wrote with um, Howard Baker, who is actually considered more like a Rockefeller Republican from Tennessee. But even he agree, like, all this is going to do, I mean, this is not going to benefit us. But anyway, they agreed to an amnesty for about two and a half million illegals. Remember, at a time when illegal and legal immigration was much lower, we were just starting to see the effects of um, Hart Seller, the uh, 65 immigration bill that started going into effect in the 70s. Um, Nothing like it is today. Reagan would have seen a very different picture. But the big thing was, okay, look, it's hard to get them out. They're right here. It's only two and a half million. Let's go and end it henceforth. You can't get a job. And if you can't get a job, you're not going to work here. Well, it was never enforced. They got the amnesty, but we never got ours. We never got the employer enforcement from 86. We never got the interior enforcement and the exit entry system from 96. And we never got the promise for 100% operational control in 2006. There's something about the sixes there, 86, 96, 2006. Every 10 years, we had a good immigration bill, but it, it was, it was a, you know, all a lie. Some of it's the courts, a lot of it's the executive branch over the years. Now the courts are codifying the malfeasance of the executive branch against statute into law, fake law. But that's where we are. So we deserve that. That is ours. You stop that, it's over. It's game over. You stop the criminality, the cultural problems, everything else. There's a new poll out in Florida, done for floridapolitics.com. 60% support Governor DeSantis' E-Verify bill, just 28% oppose. And the way the question was asked, it was asked categorically. It wasn't said, well, if we make exceptions for smaller businesses or agriculture. No, it was was the full full shebang. More than a two-to-one margin. Among independents, 60-29. Among Democrats, Democrat voters, 43-43, dead even. When do you ever find an issue like that? Hispanics, 56-32, support mandatory E-Verify. Even among 18-29-year-olds. 56 to 33, obviously a much higher margin for those older, but it's pretty, pretty uniform, pretty uniform. Folks, this is MAGA done right. This is MAGA without the BS. This is MAGA for real results, outcomes, not garbage. And yet, with polling like this, I mean, this is Florida. That's the 50-50 state. That's the most important state for Republicans to win. Overwhelming support. 
You want to do something that will solve such an enormous issue that cuts to the core of a lost promise. And then it is so politically auspicious. It's this. One of the few things that government has created that works. I don't want to hear this garbage. Oh, burdens on businesses. We burden every darn thing of them and we make them document for the I-9 forms anyway most of the stuff that you have to, you know, if you get a new job, you have to hand the stuff in anyway. You run it, it takes 30 seconds. And it's actually great. If you go Google it, E-Verify Online, you could actually, it's a very good service because you could preemptively protect yourself from identity theft. You could preemptively call it in, verify your information, and it's locked. So no one, so, I mean, right now, someone could use it, you're screwed. But um, it locks it preemptively. It's It's a good program. You know, you know, I have very few good things to say about any, anything that has ever been ever been created, but it was actually created by a great patriot, Lamar Smith, who was the um, predecessor to Chip Roy in Texas 21, San Antonio area. He was also the author of the 1996 immigration bill. Just a very nice person all around. He retired. Um, that's that's the story there. Yet. Some of you might have seen it in the Washington Times. For the first time, they took mandatory E-Verify out of the budget proposal. Meaning, they're not even going to pretend to strive. Again, the budget they throw out every year and then sign something 10 times worse. But at least it's an aspirational document. No, it's out of that. And for everything I hear, it's permanently jettisoned from Jared Kushner, the the noted immigration expert, from his grand plan that he's going to introduce. Why? Because we allowed this to happen. Unbelievable. A Republican Party that's nothing more than a botched sex change operation. So that's where we are with that. So let's move on. We've been talking a lot recently about the enormity of the scope of the criminal alien problem in this country, that there are really millions of criminal aliens in this country, probably a lot more than we even know, given all the statistics and evidence we've cited and the ICE data. When when I say that, I mean people who came here illegally, remained here illegally, and were also arrested for other crimes as well. And, And the vitality of giving over to people the importance of dealing with that almost beyond any other issue. Shielding us from external harm is is the core job of the federal government, especially when it ties into particularly the human trafficking, drugs, gangs, affects homelessness as well. It's such a big, big, big issue. National security implications. So you would think When we're examining today, what would it look like if Republicans were back in power, okay? And for that matter, what it would look like if Republicans had a super majority. It's impossible for it to happen, but let's just say for a minute, like in South Dakota, you could replicate South Dakota in Washington. Amazing. I mean, think about it. What, What do you think that would look like? Okay, Republicans control the executive branch. They would have something like an 80 to 20 majority in the Senate. They'd have, I don't know, a, a 
370 to whatever, 150 majority in the House, what would they do? Well, we, we know what the Democrats would do. Even with thinner majorities, look at Virginia. They just take it over the very first time. I mean, it's pedal to the metal. I'm really impressed. Like, I thought, okay, Virginia, it's the home of guns and NRA, and look, they're going to do gun control, but not, you know, they're not going to step on it too much and risk the blowback. I mean, they're doing the full blue state Maryland mag capacity bans. I mean, everything. The full-blown thing. Transgenderism, let out all the criminals. They're not leaving anything on the table. Well, what would Washington look like? Well, you know what it would look like? It would look a lot like the South Dakota, which is a bunch of Republicans controlling it and acting like Democrats. So let, let's, not, let's not blame this on, oh, I can't do anything because of Nancy Pelosi. That's crap. And you know it. You know it. So you would think when Republicans are auditioning for what that would look like, they would use the part of government that they already control, aka the Senate, to show, look, this is, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And they're going to, that the Senate would spend the next few months relentlessly focusing on legislation against sanctuaries. I mean, again, look look at E-Verify, which doesn't even speak to criminal aspect. It's more, it's broader than that. It's just all illegal aliens can't get a job. I'm saying, if anything, that's kind of more to the right than just saying we're going to focus on criminal aliens. That, that, that's, that's even more universal. That would poll with 90% support. You would think there's no better way to win an election than endless criminal alien sanctuary legislation. No, 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 no. What's happening now? There's a man named Tom Tillis pushing an amnesty bill. I could tell you it might not be in the news, but he's in the background trying to push this major amnesty bill for agricultural workers who are illegal aliens. That is his priority. Now, before I get to just the nature of the bill, we've spoken about that and, 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 and what it means, what's going on. Um, I just, I do want to note one moment here, the importance of Tom Tillis. This is the guy who is always an open borders pro-criminal leftist. He gets a primary challenger who had money and could have potentially posed a threat. Lots of conservative activists in North Carolina don't like him. He goes to Trump, gets an endorsement, where Trump says he's tough on crime and borders. Then, he introduces legislation to, for people to be able to sue sanctuary cities, but writes it wrong, and of course never pushes for a vote on it, it was just a press release and to show up in an ad and for Trump to praise him at the State of the Union. Notice it's never gotten a vote. But you know, now the, the primary challenger had to drop out because Trump killed him. And now he can go back to his merry old ways. And now Tom Tillis is pushing amnesty. So in, what was it, October, November, December, I can't remember, last year, the House passed H.R. 5038. This is what you need to call your senators about. Don't allow them to pass H.R. 5038. I don't know if there is yet a Senate companion bill. So it's still H.R. 5038. Which they call the Farm Worker Workforce Modernization Act. It's an Orwellian named thing. Actually, it keeps our 
farm work back into the 1700s. And it turns people into indentured um, servitude. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable what it's going to cause. So basically what the bill does is it grants amnesty to all illegal aliens in this country who work on farms. So again, you get what you... I mean, it's like 1986 never happened. This is literally what we did. And we're like, we're, we're going to stop it. Employer sanctions. And now, and now we say, we're going to do it again. It's like Charlie Brown with the football. It's unbelievable how you, how you could have a Republican that could show his face without shame supporting something that, that insane, given the history. And what, but what, but it's worse than that. So it's a mass amnesty and all, everything that comes along with it, as we noted before, some of the worst elements of illegal aliens are the ones working in agriculture. They're serving as a conduit pipeline for, to bringing in drugs for the cartels. We had a lot of good articles. We read and wrote on that, um, a pipeline for the cartels to bring in drug trafficking, crime, drunk driving in our rural communities is terrible. Sex offenders. These people might work hard during the day, but they're, they're, they're very problematic. A lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. Literally, these are the people that Trump spoke about when he came down that escalator and complained and, you know, they're not bringing their best people. That This is what it's talking about. It actually tethers them. It says you can get a green card if you work for agriculture for a certain amount of years. So 10 years or you know, if you're already there for 10 years, you only have to serve five. It's literally an indentured servitude. Um, there's nothing more anti-free market than that because you're taking something so unnatural that has a very unnatural push, the commodity of a green card of American citizenship, and it tethers it to working for agriculture. It's going to create a terrible market for that. And... So it, it, it immediately amnesties all the illegals here, and then prospectively, they say they're getting rid of illegal immigration for agriculture. Well, yeah, they kind of do, because then they just have an unlimited amount that they just say, we'll bring you in legally. H2 visas are unlimited then, and they'll just bring in an endless supply. And again, aside from you know the fiscal cost, the cultural cost, the rule of law cost, the, 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 the criminal, criminality you're going to bring in, rewarding such bad behavior... Just from a farming standpoint, a lot of people who have written on this bill noted, and, and aptly so, um, Mark Kerkorian has a good column at National Review in, in December. You could just Google Kerkorian um, Farm Workforce Modernization Act. And he makes the point that a lot of other countries like the Netherlands, Israel, um, a couple others, they've, you know, they're forced to modernize, literally modernize and mechanize different aspects of it. This will guarantee them an unnatural flow of indentured servants. So it, it's, I mean, it's, it's a very anti-creative destruction, which is really what keeps a market going, that you move on, you get rid of bank tellers, and you move on to ATMs. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's, it's the antithesis of a, of a farm modernization act. But anyway, it passed the House last year, late last year, 34 House Republicans voted for it, including the big hero, Elise Stefanik. Now, let's be clear here. It's only because they're in a minority, so there's always reasons you could find to vote no. It's always easier to vote no against the Democrats. But fundamentally, the idea has ma probably majority support in the House. Among, when I say majority, I mean majority support among House Republicans. Every Democrat voted for it. 
yeah, all these like Bernie Sanders types that are very much for the for the working men and the people. They care about people. Yeah, right. What a joke. They're for slavery. But um, 34 Republicans voted for it. But I'm just telling you, over 100 support this concept. In the Senate, it's a supermajority. So now Tom Tillis, you think, oh, it's a Democrat bill. Tom Tillis is supporting it. Now, you might be asking me the obvious question. Well, Daniel, um, isn't there a third player here? What about Donald J. Trump? Let me just tell you something interesting. There's something called a SAP, a Statement of Administration Policy. It's ostensibly a veto warning when... Congress starts passing legislation through one house that they don't like. And they said, look, we're, we're going to veto this. Now, they might not necessarily issue it on every last item that passes out of either house. But when you have something this <laughs> earth shattering, an amnesty in, in, the, in the mold of 1986, um, without the promises of 1986, and, and changing H2 visas the way you're doing, I mean, that, that, that's pretty ear-shattering. And when it passes with overwhelmingly almost all Democrat support, you would think that would be at the top of the veto warning list. There was no SAP that was issued by the White House. You could do with that with what you want, but just, just know um, that that wasn't done by accident. This is what happens. We remain silent. The Tillises, the open border, the cheap labor, the pro-criminal, pro-transgender Republicans have not changed one bit. But what will change is they will move Trump further and further to the left. And that is what a second term will look like. One other note, just how egregious this is in Tom Tillis. North Carolina, more than any other state, and other people have noticed this too, and I don't have a perfect reason for it, seems to have more illegal alien child molesters than any other state. Maybe, say, for California, but that's just because of the sheer number of of illegal aliens there. But it has more than any other state. What do you think a lot of them are doing during the day? Well, it's the same reason why Tom Tillis is supporting this bill. I find it fascinating that just to the north of him, we're talking about Virginia and how Virginia got turned over. Well. North Carolina is one step behind it. And there you have Tom Tillis of the Transgender Sex Change Operation Party pushing to turn the Tar Heel State into Virginia. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. These people are, I mean, it does if you understand Republicans, but you know what I mean. But I could talk about Roger Stone and Attorney General Barr. By the way, it's so cute. All these thumbsuckers hated Jeff Sessions, even though he was awesome on social issues, on immigration. But he was terrible on Mueller. But, but they loved Barr because he was so amazing. Ha ha ha. And now Barr is in a fight with Trump about the whole thing. And you know now they're not going to like him either. And he's not nearly as good on judicial supremacy. He totally genuflected before the courts. But there you go. Gosh, there's a lot more on our list of stuff here. I just want to, in our remaining time, I want to go through one more one more story. We only have time for one more. And I just want you to know, I mean, there's so much more where this comes from, which is why you guys need to subscribe, send this around on iTunes, leave us a five-star review. 
Um, someone's got to do this. Afghanistan. Here's another amazing opportunity. So some of you might have noticed, I wanted to give a little bit of context here. Um, I didn't write an article on this yet. I might have one later. There was a vote yesterday. Um, it passed the House already, and the Senate passed it 55-45, I believe. Uh, a war powers resolution preemptively denying the president authority to strike Iran. Um, it's a privileged motion because of the way the statute's written. It very well may, may be unconstitutional. I think it is the 1972 War Powers Act. But the way it's written, it's a privileged motion, so it's not subject to the filibuster. So it did pass with 55 votes. Um, the president does have enough veto, uh, support to sustain a veto, and he will veto it. Um, a lot of you well know, I mean, I, I am very passionate about pulling out of the Middle East in general, out of what we're doing at least, and, and focusing more on our hemisphere, on our border. Um, but at the same time, Iran is a problem, much more so than Syria, Mogadishu, Niger, Iraq, and Afghanistan, which are counterintuitive. And not that I want to get on the ground and get involved in Iran the way we did other countries. The president has been very clear he doesn't want to do that. But certainly you don't want to foreclose any – you don't want to appease them. So I just want to show you the perfidy of what's going on with what, with what these members of Congress are doing. If you, if you really want to stop a war, why don't you stop the war that's actually been going on and to this day we have people getting killed for nothing literally doesn't affect us? rather than preemptively screwing with Trump and appeasing Iran, which is a much bigger threat, when there is no war and the president avoided it. Why don't you do that? Why don't you... So one of the valid points they had was, you know, they're, they're really pushing back to the president that 100 soldiers evidently got injured in that retaliation strike. And that's terrible. And they're right about that. I agree with that. It's a problem. But here's the deal. You know why? It's because of what I said. Not because we're weak and, oh, we have to appease Iran and we can't shred the Iran deal and get tough with them and use soft power. It's because we're stupid involved in Iraq on behalf of the Baghdad pro-Iran government protecting them. And then we have our guys like sitting ducks there. Get them out of there so you just keep your naval and air assets and have strike and maneuver. And then they have nothing to retaliate against. And we totally own them. So, I mean, if you want to be for protecting our troops, for accountability on, on unaccountable wars, getting Congress back involved in the process, talk about Afghanistan and Iraq. But they don't. New report from the Special Inspector General of Afghanistan. He testified a couple of House and Senate committees the past two weeks. Not only did we lose so many soldiers in war fighting, but they actually did a very interesting thing. The human cost of reconstruction. So literally, they weren't engaged in patrolling and you know maneuvers, combat. How many people died while engaging in reconstruction, urban renewal projects for Afghanistan? You know, imagine you have be all you can be, sign up for the military. Hey, you're gonna go and build roads and bridges and and uh, plumbing for them and then get killed by the very people you're building it for. It's sickening. According to them, at least 284 Americans were killed exclusively while performing reconstruction or stabilization missions. It includes 216 U.S. service members, 68 civilians. Those are the government contractors. 
an additional 245 service members and 76 civilians were wounded. In addition, 59 American service members and 49 were wounded engaging in reconstruction activities from insider attacks. The people that, the very people that we are supporting. Unbelievable. You would think this is a bipartisan opportunity. See, on this issue, I really do sympathize with the president because, like, what do you want from him? He never wanted these wars. He inherited it. And we're in a tough position. Like, you want to be tough on Iran, but you don't want to start a war. But you don't want to endanger our troops. But you don't believe in Iraq, but we're already in there. The, here's the deal. The president, you have to give him credit. He did try to pull out of Syria. Every Democrat, they passed a resolution in the House condemning him. So, like, how dare you do these undeclared, unauthorized thing against Iran? And then how dare you pull out against an unauthorized war in Syria? Folks, I guarantee you, I promise you, that if the president were to pull out from Afghanistan, Democrats will criticize him. They'll totally criticize him. It's just disgusting. It really is. That we have to play politics with this. They'll just take the opposite side. It, it, it's, it's nauseating. I mean, at least Paul and Lee are consistent. They want to get out of everywhere. But these guys are a joke, which is why I wouldn't have been among those 10 Republicans lending credences because this is not a way to get move away from urban renewal because Trump wasn't doing that with Iran. It's the wrong place to start talking about this. And again, as I mentioned before, you got to sympathize with the president on this issue because these very same idiots, all of them, including Bernie Sanders, all of them just passed the NDAA, which literally authorizes all of our diplomatic and military missions in Iraq and Syria. So Soleimani went and started attacking our bases. What did he want from him? He can't defend the assets that you authorized to go to war with that he didn't even want? The war in Iraq? It's, it's, it's ass backwards. Rather than appeasing Iran, get out of Iraq. And I'm not saying, again, to replicate what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan and Iran, but then you know, we could counter them with soft power, a little bit of hard power when necessary, totally without any, any liabilities. It's just completely backwards. And when one senator tried to introduce an amendment to at least limit the language to clarify that the president could defend U.S. territory, citizens, or personnel at military bases and diplomatic facilities, right? Or to restrict missions related to force protection of U.S. aircraft, ships, or personnel, which you would think, like, okay, fine, we're not going to invade Iran, but at least, no, it was voted down 51-49, and then Collins, Lee, Moran, and Paul Moran of Kansas joined with all the Democrats. See that that I for sure, you know, to me that that's that's indefensible. And then there's a bunch of Democrats and Republicans actually wrote a letter to the president, I'm not kidding, demanding that he not pull out of Sierra Leone and Niger and one other country that we're in in the western horn of Africa. I mean, really? 
So every time he tries to pull out of something, they go nuts. And then when you have Iran attack our assets, that whether you like it or not, they're there and they funded it and it was attacked and we look weak. And more than anything else, the IRGC has screwed with us over the years and is attacking shipping lanes. Then suddenly this. So don't give me this principled conservative thing like, oh, look, you know if anyone's a principled conservative who has no problems bucking certainly Republicans and Trump, it's me. But that's not principled. I'm not going to sit and join the left. Oh, because I want to make a statement on getting out of Middle Eastern wars, I'm going to apply to Iran. No, no, no. That, that, that's bullcrap. That's nothing but appeasing Iran. So that's my position on that, just in case you wanted to know. And again, a perspective that's that's full and comprehensive you're not going to hear elsewhere. We are just about out of time. Very productive week as always. I couldn't do it without you. I need you to send the show around to everyone you know. Go ahead and like it um, or subscribe on, on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you hear podcasts, Podbean. Tweet me anytime at rmconservative. Email me, uh, dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Comments, questions, concerns, ideas, ideas, anything. Nothing is too small or too big. Have a terrific weekend with your Valentine, as I will myself. God bless you all.